0: Welcome back to The Leadership Domain, where we believe that who is greater than why. I'm your host, John Roan, and we're here to share stories told by leaders themselves. Each episode is a glimpse into their who and serves to connect them with you, our listeners. We hope that their lessons, thoughts, and vulnerabilities also serve to unlock your full leadership potential. We're glad you're here with us. Lead them well. Today's guest is Lieutenant General Richard Clark, the superintendent of my alma mater, the United States Air Force Academy. Today, General Clark shares ideas on how he is connecting with and developing the newest generation of leaders. He also talks about the one thing that our current leaders need to know about these cadets and how he used sleepovers to connect with cadets during the isolation of COVID. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Lead them well. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back to the Leadership Domain. Today, my guest is Lieutenant General Richard Clark. Uh, I first met General Clark, I'm sure he doesn't remember, but I was Captain Roan and he was Colonel Clark and we were at a late night red flag, um, red flag push and uh, listened to the debrief. And one of the things that I was uh, very impressed about was the way that he handled the, uh, the tense crowd. If you've ever been to that, you get a bunch of captains who all know they're right. Uh, and the Colonel has to weigh in. But uh, General Clark, also a graduate of the Air Force Academy uh, from 1996. Since then, uh, the only thing he's done is commanded four times, uh, been a White House fellow, uh, been the Commandant of Cadets at the Air Force Academy, now back the Air Force Academy as a superintendent, um, was a commander and a defense attache overseas, and uh, his, the list goes on and on and on. And so General, thank you very much. Uh, for the time today. I know you're busy and your staff went through a lot of hoops to, to make this happen. So welcome, sir. And my first question for you is, we can all go to the Air Force page, look at your one page or two page bio and find out a little bit about you. But what's not in that bio that makes you you and part of your story?
1: Well, first, big dog, it's, it's great to see you again. And thank you for uh, making the time to do this. And, uh, and also just for what you do. To, to get uh, leadership lessons and, and allow some of our younger folks to have the opportunity to connect with, with folks that have made mistakes and had experiences and, and done things. I, I think this is fantastic and I really appreciate uh, having this opportunity. Um, and uh, it's good to see you again from, from red flag in a less tense environment. So, uh, but I'll say uh, to your question, um, what's not in my bio, is that first? I've been very blessed, and I've had lots of just great um, mentors and leaders and people who have helped me along the way, and um, I, you know I'm I'm grateful for that, and I do uh, believe that my my roles that I've received are opportunities for me to give back and to try to help other people achieve their goals and dreams. So um, the part that's not in my bio is every person. That was involved in every line of that bio to help get me where I am. And you know, I can start off right here. I and mean, I tell this story a lot because it, it was the the jump start. And I'm sitting in the soup's office right now. When I was uh when I was a cadet, I remember coming in, I was here and I got a call to go see General Skip Scott, who was my superintendent. And uh he called me into the office and I was in service dress and came to see the soup, and I sat right, I mean, I'm looking right now at the corner of the office where we sat and he said hey uh rich he was a football fan like you know you and i both played ball and and you know we know how much that meant to us but i had a lot of injuries while i was playing i had dislocated both my shoulders multiple times and he said uh rich uh understand you want to go to pilot training but you you've been disqualified medically because of your shoulders and you know i said yes sir trying to think about what i'm going to do next and he said well i tell you uh i flew fighters in vietnam i've flown fighters in combat and um the docs told me that the reason you're disqualified is because if you ever have to eject that there's a chance that your shoulders could uh you know could come out or something and he goes you know i'll tell you this if you eject and that's the only thing that happens to you that is the least of your worries he goes and he told me he, he kind of demoed, he goes, go like this with your arm. And he kind of rotated it over his head with his right arm. And then he said, do this with your left arm. And I repeated and he goes, you know what, if you can do that, you can reach your ejection seat handles and save your own life. So I think you need to be going to pilot training. A couple weeks later, I was back into pilot training and uh, it changed the course of my life, you know and allowed me to achieve my dream. That's why I came here uh, to the academy. So. Um, you know, the opportunity that he gave me and his willingness to focus on one single cadet out of the 4,400 that he had to uh, uh, um, help lead and, and have responsibility for, he was, he was willing to focus on one person. And so I feel that uh, now it's time for me to pay back. And that's just one example of so many who have helped me along the way. So um, that's what's not in my bio is everybody who has been there to help me. To include my own family. I mean, they they have been on this trek and this journey. And uh I, I wish with every line there could be a footnote of all the people right. who helped me. And so I'm very grateful and I feel very blessed and fortunate.
0: So did you have an opportunity, just curious after you graduated, to stay in touch with uh with the soup? And and if so, how did that relationship work out throughout your career? Uh
1: I've I've spoken to him the last time I spoke to him was about six weeks ago maybe two months ago and I've spoken with him multiple times and I can remember when you mentioned that I was the commandant and I invited him to my uh, change of command ceremony when I was the commandant um, and he showed up and when when he was sitting in the audience with his wife Miss Sally uh, I, I mean I looked right at him and I said sir I know you don't remember this but I will tell you that the reason I'm standing here is because of you and you know and I I recounted that story um so he knows uh and he's still he's still uh around uh Colorado Springs area and uh even when I I connect with him now occasionally I'll remind him of that and and just thank him for uh for his caring and and his approachable leadership
0: so I might steal that story as I get a chance to go talk uh, to people one of the things that that is very interesting to me is when you get to go and talk to the airmen and you're sitting in an audience with a squadron or group or a wing, you ask the question, how many of you trust your senior leaders? Not a lot of hands go up. All right, yeah. how many of you trust your media supervisor? Not a lot of hands go up. And it's, it's heartbreaking in the sense, but then as you dig into it, you find that it's not anything that the leaders have actually done or not done. It's just that they haven't connected with their leader in the way that allows them to build trust in the way that that the suit allowed you to build trust so as you've gone through your career and commanded at different levels and now you are that person in charge of those 4,400 cadets how has your means of connection or connecting with your airmen changed or has it changed and how do you do that at the level you are now
1: yeah that's a great question big dog and I'll tell you it gets harder as you as you Increase rank because you're you're not there. When I was a squadron commander, that that to me was the best of all worlds because you you are right at the uh, the tip of the mission, uh, the tip of the spear of the mission. But you're also in the trenches with your fellow airmen, your wingmen, and and you really had the opportunity to connect with people. But as you get older, you know you move to the headquarters or you're in a you're you're in a different place. Uh, that is not co-located necessarily with your, uh, you know, with the people that are actually getting the mission done. And so, honestly, you have to be creative. And and how um, do I make those connections? How do I make myself available and present that approachable um, persona so that there that people are willing to come and see you and, and trust you. And so. Um, for me, it's about being creative and it's about building the time in. Um, you, you know, it's so easy to get get locked in behind the desk and do emails and you know, make the phone calls and do all those kinds of things. But if you are deliberate and make time, and I put it on my schedule, I call it out and about. And I, and I get out and I go out from my desk and I go visit cadets, I go sit in classrooms, I go to the prep school, I go to the air base wing, and I just try to have those periods consistently um, where I can I can be there and actually let people um, see me, talk to me and know that I'm here for them. Um, but it, it does take a, a considerable effort, but it's it honestly, it makes my day. Like when I can go out and see people and I can get out from behind the desk, uh, it, it just reminds me of my purpose and why I'm here. And it, it goes back to those those three um, characteristics of a leader that we, you and I, and so many others learned at weapons school. Be humble, be approachable and be credible. And, and the only way that you can really do that is to be out there and, and to allow people um, to see you and you to see them and to have those connections. So it, it's just a deliberate effort. I mean, even right now, you and I are talking and you're, you're giving me a means to maybe connect with some people. You know, it's a little bit different. It's not necessarily that two way connection, but there's still a connection opportunity. Um, so, you know, it's just a matter of, of being consistent about it, being creative about it and making the effort to do it is the best way to connect.
0: When I get to talk to some leaders, they say, yeah, well, I, I tried that. I, I went out one time and I went out a second time and it was just, it was just awkward and like, it's like any other relationship. The first date or two is pretty awkward. You have to try to figure each other out, but the third, fourth, and fifth date get a little bit more comfortable. And so uh, to your point, the same thing with, with our airmen. It's tough when the boss shows up in your in your room or in your class, but when the boss shows up in your room four or five times, you get used to seeing the boss, then, then conversations start and people start to relax
1: a little bit. Yeah, and I just, when I go see folks, I just try to be myself. You know, I'm not, I, I don't have any you know, I'm, I'm a little awkward anyway, so I don't, you know, I'm just like, hey, this, this is who I am, this is it. And um, just to be honest and genuine as I can, um, when I see them, and, uh, and it really does help when you sort of go, um, when you take the view of, hey, I'm just, I'm just talking, this is just one person to another. It's not necessarily the three-star to a cadet, although, I mean, the reality is it, that's what it is. But I, I, you have to take that attitude of we're we're just two airmen talking now, um, and and let's let's make this connection. And uh, I just happen to be a whole lot older than than any of them, right. so uh, you know. But we can still connect, right? And and that's I think the goal.
0: I think uh, you know this is I, I can't remember where I read this, but we have now four or five generations in the Air Force, much less just the professional force. And the way that you and I were raised and we interacted, at least with it. I, as a captain, interact with the three-star, the cadet that interact with the three-star, is significantly different than the way this generation interacts. They're significantly smarter, at least than I was. They're significantly more well-read. They're significantly more connected and unafraid to tell the three-star or the commandant or anybody else what they think. So that, I think, is is, is interesting. Yeah. As, you, as you talk connection, um, to me, when we asked about, hey, who trusts our leaders and not a lot of hands? And I think part of the the contributing factor, if not the root cause, is that lack of connection. In your time in the Air Force, what do you have, what have you observed being the, the biggest hurdle to that trusting
1: relationship between leaders and airmen? Yeah, that that's a great one too, big dog. I, I guess the biggest hurdle or, or the biggest barrier is that sometimes um, the, the wants and desires of people like their dreams and their goals at, at certain levels don't match up with necessarily the, the policies and, and the, the rules and regulations of the Air Force right. and and making that making those connections and, and helping to figure out how do, how do we uh, sort of bridge that gap between where people want to go and where the Air Force needs them to go and and how, we get them there. Um, bridging that gap is really hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you, you just have to give them, tell them the truth and be very honest. But then you also have to be willing to try to, to help to knock down some of those barriers. You know, sometimes those barriers are gonna be really tough and, and leaders don't wanna set false hopes. They don't wanna, um, you know, give people an impression that something is gonna happen that, that there's a little chance of happening. But I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm not afraid to tell someone, Hey, I'll give it a shot, but you know, that we, we got a slim chance, but I'll give you everything I got to try to get us there, you know, or if it's something that really is totally unrealistic, I'll tell them, you know what, there is, there is not a, not a chance that that's probably going to happen. I know you want to go be stationed at, you know, uh, Eglin air force base, but, uh, your career field is not gonna allow that, but you know what? Going to Minot's not gonna be so bad. You're gonna be okay. And and there's a lot of goodness there, you know? And just to try to level with them and and be honest and tell them the truth, you know? Um, But it is hard for an Airman, you know, to hear things that there's expectations that are set when people come into the Air Force or the Space Force. And then when, when the reality doesn't meet their expectations, it, it creates barriers and it creates issues. But we as leaders just have to sort of help help people understand with uh, um, with our experience, with our explanation, but mostly with just being honest with them about things. So um, that that is a tough one, and it's and it's one that when you're out there and you're talking to people, and someone comes up to you and says, "Sir, sir, I need some help with something," or "Sir, here's an issue I have. What can I do about it?" That's also something that makes leaders shy away because you're kind of put on the spot it's mm-hmm. like you know and, and you know i'm honest i'm like if i can't do anything about it i go yeah I, I hear you i hear i understand that issue but there's just really not a lot we can do about it or okay let's let's take a shot at that one let's see how we can you know how we can tackle it just got to be upfront and honest with
0: people i can think back as you're talking i'm thinking back to my career and how many times whether it was with me or with one of my peers that leaders we're afraid to give the bad news. They're afraid to give the, nope, Eglin's not for you. Nope, pilot train is not for you. Uh, and so sometimes that, that breeds a little bit of, um, of discontent. Uh, as you talk to the cadets, you get a chance to, to watch them grow. And between now and the time that you leave, there'll be however many thousands of brand new officers that, that graduated with the, the same rings that we wear and have been wearing a jacket for four years. What do you say to the leaders that are about to receive these airmen and take care of these airmen? If you had one or two things to tell them about these cadets, what would that be?
1: First, I tell them that they're amazing, and that they are <clears throat> that they are so smart and so talented, and so eager to serve, and every bit as patriotic as uh, as any of us were. <clears throat> and I think sometimes, excuse me, I think sometimes people believe that. Um, the younger generations um, just don't have the same drive and desire and all this stuff that we had. And it's so far from the truth. They're just different. And they look at the world differently. And um, And what we have to do is take advantage and help them to be, you know, not to be too cliche about it, but to be all that they can be. And, and they have huge, huge skills and capabilities, especially when you think about some of the technological skills that they have, and their ability to reach out into the world and understand the broader, the the broader global environment, we didn't—I didn't for sure—and you know, you are a next level above me, but we didn't have all of the abilities and, and uh, capabilities that they have to see the world and to be connected to the world and understand it, and to be curious, you know, and to and to really. Um, want to, to make a difference, they are so much like that. They are so ready to go out into a world that they understand better than we did and to make a difference. And we have to let them, and we have to understand that we are not the same as, as they are in some levels, but on many levels, and I think at our core, we're very much the same. We wanna serve, we wanna go out there and do great things. They wouldn't be signed up to be in the Air Force or the Space Force if they weren't. So. So let's not prejudge. In fact, let's be pretty open-minded about who's coming in and, and what these young, uh, this younger generation has to offer. And, and let's let spread their wings and go. Don't hold them back, unleash it because they're gonna do some amazing things for us and we need them, especially with the way the world is changing. I'll tell you, if all of our, our, our new leaders were like me, we'd be, we'd be toast as a country. We've been such a dire straits. But, but when you think about great power competition, when you think about where our adversaries are going and, and the capabilities that they have, we need young thinkers that are smart, that are connected, that are, are creative and innovative. That's what we need. And we need to get these guys ready to go out there and, and, and help our country compete in that global environment. But the only way we're gonna do that is give them the shot, give them a chance. And, uh, and unleash their, their skills and talents.
0: It's exciting every time I'm in the airport or I live in Southern Virginia and I'm around, but you see somebody and you look at them and they look like they're 15 and they're 23 year old lieutenants or 24 year old captains. You're like, man, this is, this is, it's interesting and a little crazy to watch. You mentioned them being open-minded. So if you're okay with so I'm gonna shift a little bit to some more contemporary issues. I remember when I was uh, on active duty and the discussion was whether gays can serve openly in the military. There was a big hurrah, we had to think about it. We had to make sure people weren't gonna go crazy and lose their mind and that people would be treated fairly. No problems. Now there's a discussion about you know, trans. How is that gonna work? Of course, there's been different policy changes. Oh, we gotta be careful. We have to make sure, I'm willing to bet people are gonna serve. That's just my own opinion. The report came out from the Air Force IG on the, uh, the racial disparity with the cadets that are there right now, have you seen that report impact relationships, impact how people feel? Um, do people pay any attention to it? Um, thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, there there are, um, I think people who, who have paid very close attention to it because our, it's not just in the Air Force and the Space Force and the Department of Defense, it is our country that um, is going through these changes and that we're having the issues that we're having. And people you know, who come here to the Air Force Academy, we're coming from all 435 congressional districts across, around the world, or around the world and mostly across the country. Um, so they are well aware of the issues and they have their opinions, you know, and we also have people from all political spectrums, uh, you know, across the political spectrum, I'll say. But, but the thing is that these issues affect everybody in different ways. And so you have a variety of different responses to it. And so what our thoughts are on this, and I think this is broader too within the Department of Defense, is that we need to have the critical conversations so that we're able to build understanding among um, each other. Because we're all wingmen, we're all taking the oath to the same constitution to support and defend it. And we can't allow things like, uh, you know, racial disparity or political differences get in our way. Our country counts on us being able to overcome that. So we have to be able to, but to do that, we really do have to have these tough conversations so that we understand um, what the situations are so that we understand if there's barriers to everybody being valued members of the team, what do we need to do to break those barriers down so that people can commit so that they can, uh, I guess, uh, contribute to their max extent possible. And if we have barriers, then, then we're, we're holding back members of our team that might be able to help us go even further. So um, it all starts though by listening, by owning our, our issues, and then by taking action to do something about it. And so these critical conversations that we have really do reveal there's a lot of cadets that are, that are hurting from seeing things that have happened um, seeing the issues that are going on in our country, and then there's a lot of cadets who think, "Oh, there's not an issue. What are we? What are we talking about? What I don't see the problem." Well, there's a disconnect there, and the only way to make that connection is to listen and to talk and to be able to have those conversations. So um, we're we're tackling them. Um, we had our own internal racial review here, and um, a lot of issues came out. Things that we can do to help our academy and we're starting out with critical conversations. Um, we've had them among different groups and just allow people to put their thoughts and their voices out there. We stood up um, uh, a, a, a diversity and inclusion um, uh, uh, executive committee. We meet regularly and we also have a diversity inclusion action, action group that helps us to implement the kinds of policies and the changes that we need to make. So. Um, I, I think we're moving in the right direction, but we certainly have a long ways to go. And, and we have to go there because our, our cadet wing is more diverse now than it's ever been. And we have in our last class, class of 24, 30% women, 36% ethnic minority. And so we're only getting more diverse, as is our country. And if we're not able to harness the entire power of our population of America and here at the academy, we're we're failing. So we're doing everything that we can to make sure that we're able to to um, allow every teammate to give everything they can to the team to help us to move forward. And starts with having the tough conversations sometimes. So um, we're we're stepping out, but we have a ways to go.
0: I think it's interesting, and again, one man's opinion, you know. We hear leaders say we have to solve this problem, Um, and I'm not sure there's a solution that's going to happen in the near term, other than exactly what you said, which is solving it is being able to listen to everybody and recognize that uh, just because I have a difference of opinion, I'm not going likely not going to change your mind through this debate, Um, but I'm I'm going to listen. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the show. It's on PBS. It's called Accidental Courtesy um essentially a black male who decides he wants to go meet kkk members and the first question he asks them is why do you hate me yes sir you've seen it yeah yeah Uh, they end up becoming friends and to me i use that sometimes as an example i'm on the road for it's just listening they don't agree with each other maybe they understand each other maybe they don't but they have those hard conversations
1: yeah i I mean i think it's it it is the key to, to starting to move forward with this and And you hit a great point where sometimes we're not going to agree, but we need to agree to disagree and then, and then move on, you know, and go, look, we don't have to agree on everything, but we got to work together and we have to solve our problems together and we have to fight together. So, so let's, let's, let's be good teammates and and keep moving forward and put our differences aside and focus on what we have in common. It's good practice for marriage too and life afterwards. Oh, you are not joking. (laughs) Uh,
0: uh, My, my, I happen to be, my, my wife's a white police officer. And one of the stories I tell about our conversations is there's a Black Lives Matter march. And so she decided to go down there. Uh, and there's two pictures that I took just because I went down there out of sheer curiosity. And one is initial kind of a confrontation. She's about five foot four, 120 pounds. And there's a guy your size. And, uh, and fast forward about an hour and a half or two hours later, and they're walking and laughing together. And they couldn't be further apart on their views, but the fact that they listened to each other um, generated.
1: Yeah, that's key, that's key.
0: We we talk communication and listening, and then you throw a challenge in there like a pandemic that says we have to isolate and we have to keep people away from each other. I can imagine that silly question is, is that challenging? I'm sure the answer is yes, but the more important question is, how did you ensure that you can still have cadets connect, that you can still have conversations like this, how you can still connect with them as a leader and your AOCs and your senior staff while you're keeping everybody safe and following the guidelines?
1: Yeah, the, the pandemic has been quite the strain on a service academy and you, you can imagine, I mean, you know how it is going through a service academy is tough enough, right? And then put a global pandemic on top of it and, and you are in a different place. And I, will, I wanna say to our uh, everybody listening, our cadets have been incredible. Our staff and faculty, our coaches have just been amazing to help us stay on track with our mission so that we can still provide these leaders to our Air Force and Space Force. But we had to be creative. And there was times where we were locked down. I mean, we were just not in a position where we could put everybody into a classroom um, where they would have those normal co- connections. So, you know, things like uh, Teams, um, Zoom, you know, these these opportunities for us to connect like we're connecting right now, um, we use those uh, extensively. Our our faculty changed all of our classes almost on a dime from in-person to virtual so that we could bring cadets together. Um, we worked hard to find opportunities for in-person connections, um, you know, using social distancing, wearing masks, making sure that we are following all the guidelines, but. But that was very limiting. Even even when we were able to get in person, be in person, we were very limited. So, really, it just took us um, finding every opportunity to m- make those connections. But but knowing that we had to um, stay separated, that we had to follow the guidelines, so that we could not spread this pandemic or spread the uh, the disease throughout our uh, our cadet wing. So. It was, it was very difficult. And we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel now, not spiking the, the ball yet. We're on the 10 yard line, but we're gonna keep on pressing um, to the goal. But uh, honestly, um, that has been the hardest part is that lack of human connection. Um, whether it's academic, you know, people being able to talk to their instructors, um, AOCs being able to communicate with, with their cadets, um, as well as the senior leadership. Um, coaches across the board. I mean, when you don't have that opportunity for human connection, it just makes everything harder and it makes communication less um, accurate, I would say, less effective, but we really had to work hard at it and and we've pushed through. I mean, I I personally spent some time in the dorms, um, in the cadet dorms, just, um, I actually spent the night with cadets for about a month Every night I just stayed in a, in a different squadron just so I could talk to them, understand what their problems were so that as we were making decisions, I kind of had a, an idea of what they were really dealing with. So that was really helpful to me. And it also let the cadets know that, that we are thinking about them. I know it, it'd be easy for them to kind of go ah, they're just shoving us in these dorms and forgetting <coughs> about us. It's like, no, nah, we are thinking about you and we think about you every day. And we spend hours thinking about you and how we can help move us forward. So help me think about you better and more accurately. And so we had those opportunities, but all of our leaders and everybody were trying to reach out to understand so that we could make the best decision possible. Um, We also had a great, um, what we called our pandemic math team that helped us with the science and the math of um, of the virus so that we could make good decisions about testing about social distancing, about the kind of levers that we needed to pull to make sure that we kept our mission going. So it was an all hands on deck effort across all of USAFA to really help us to get there. But I think the key was to, to really find ways to connect and be creative about that.
0: Well, I think it's interesting. And we just, we still don't do this enough. I know I didn't even as a, you know, as a group commander is asking for the cadets input. If we're looking for buy-in, if we're looking for somebody to, to change culture or adjust culture in, in a pandemic, why not ask the people that are most in, impacted? And like you said earlier, uh, they're gonna surprise us. Oh, and yeah. I, I'm sure there was about 15 quotes in contrails I should have memorized that talk about that, uh, but it, we, we have to ask them.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, and they had ideas and thoughts about things we could do. Some of them were crazy.
0: <laughs> you know, imagine
1: like like any time, but then you know you get those those ones that are that are in the middle. You're just going, okay, hadn't thought about that, and they're coming from a perspective of they're in the trenches living it, and they're able to kind of give you the perspective, and then their their ideas of potential solutions. So yeah, you're you're exactly right. You just sometimes you just got to listen, hear right. what people have to say. So did was the uh, was the superintendent sleepover, which is
0: outside the box thinking. Was that a cadet-generated um, idea, or is that something you guys came up with? Because I can guarantee you that no superintendent would have thought about coming to crashing in the dorms back in in the 90s. That's awesome.
1: No, that was my idea. Uh, <clears throat> I I was just trying to think about ways that I could connect. And at first, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll bring them some Chick Fil A, you know, because I, I had some means to do that, and and just go to the squadron and bring them dinner, and then we could talk for a little while. And then I, th- you know, that that probably isn't gonna Um, you know, give me the time to really connect with them in in a given squadron. So I thought, well, I'll bring Chick-fil-A and then I'll hang out with them for a little while. And then I said, you know what, let's, let's just go, let's just do this. We'll, I'll bring them Chick-fil-A. We'll, we'll have some dinner. I'll hang out with them in the squadron, just walk around, see where people are going. And then I'll just, I'll just stay there. And that gives me maximum opportunity to connect with people. So I would leave work, um, go to the squadron. My wife would meet me, she'd bring my dog and my wife made cupcakes and then we'd, uh, I'd just stay there, um, you know, talking to the cadets, uh, they stay up too late. I'm old, they were up late at night. I'd come back in the morning, I have a shower in my office. I just shower up here and then start the day, rinse and repeat. It was about 28 days or so that uh, that I did that, but I, I just, you know, I was just thinking about what approach I could possibly take. And that was uh, sort of the, the out of box idea that I had. I tell you, it almost got derailed though, because I started out sleeping on a cot. And after about three nights, my wife was like, she said, oh, you're not, you'll never make it on a cot. I was like, honey, I've been deployed. I got this. After two nights, I was like, oh man. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, I needed a chiropractor or something. And then she she brought me a, a one night she was bringing the dog up uh, one on like night three or four and she goes hey I have a surprise for you in the back and I went opened up the the back tailgate and she had bought me an arrow bed yeah and it saved me because I wouldn't have made it man it was going to be a disaster or at least would have had some form of you know scoliosis or something <laughs> but uh, that that arrow bed was huge
0: yeah cops are a young person's game. I- you're I can cool. think back to some days where we had to do it, but yeah, I don't think I, I could anymore. My, my last question on the pandemic, sir, is did you see a a corresponding dip in the resiliency of the cadets or, or maybe an increase as, as it went on? Did they figure out that this is going to just get worse and they, they took a plummet in resiliency or did they find ways to increase their resiliency as this went
1: on? No, I felt that they, yeah, I felt that they, they started finding their own solutions. I mean, they they knew that this was gonna be a, a long, tough slog and they started doing things even within their squadrons. One squadron um, I went to, they, they had a regular yoga session in their squadron, you know, where they all got together. They had their favorite yoga teacher online, you know, at, that they would put up the video and they would go into their their squadron activity room, the SAR and just, and they did yoga you know, and that was just one of their ways to decompress, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and the, the commanders, the, the cadet leadership really went out of their way to try to help the squadron deal with and, and cope with it. I, I never sensed a dip in in resiliency among them. I, I felt like they, their resolve was was as as strong as it could be. Now, of course, they complained about things, but that is every cadet god-given right to complain about everything we all did right and did. Were, uh, me too I know you learned that as a cadet right um, but um, I think that they they really took a great approach to it and they they fought through it um, it was hard and there's no question that it was difficult for them but they did it and um, and we're I, I think gonna see the fruits of that at graduation um, because they made it and our other classes behind are, are on track for their graduation and their development as cadets. So, uh, you know, I, I applaud them and our staff and faculty uh, for the, the, the toughness that we had to exhibit um, to really get through this.
0: So as, as, just before I let you go back to your day, early in our conversation, you talked about your leadership, your purpose. Are you able to define or have you codified your leadership purpose and if so, has that changed as you progressed in rank? Or have you had that same purpose since you've started commanding or even before?
1: I think I've always thought that my purpose and my why was to help, to, to help inspire others to be their best selves. And, and I've always loved uh, to do that. And it's, it's given me uh, my own sense of purpose to be able to help people find their sense of purpose and and to help to inspire them uh, because of that purpose. So um, the good thing is or the beauty of it is that as I've increased in in responsibility and in rank that it's given me more opportunity to help people even if not directly where I'm, I'm able like we talked about earlier where I'm able to see people eye to eye face to face every day. There's other things that I can do from my position to help them, to help others and, and probably greater numbers to achieve their purpose. So um, I I feel like uh, this opportunity and some of the others that I've had have just made it even more um, purposeful for me to, to fulfill it. So I, I'm really grateful for this and for this opportunity but also the others that I've had. And um, you just have to, again, you have to be creative and think about how do I in this Position that I'm in, how do I help others to uh, fulfill their purpose and, and to really just be their best possible selves?
0: So after uh, you know nearly three decades of, of service, and now as the superintendent, and I, there's not a whole lot left to do in the Air Force. Um, have you thought about or considered what's next, or is it too early? Do you have a big retirement plan to go by an island in, in the Bahamas? or continue mm-hmm. to, to serve out of uniform? Have you thought about
1: that? You know, I hadn't thought about that buying an island thing, that, that could be pretty cool. <laughs> uh, might be a little too late for me to start that one. <laughs> my investments haven't done quite that well, but um, I I haven't really thought that much about what I'll do. This'll be my last job. And um, I I don't know, I would like to do something along the same lines or, of helping others um, to achieve their purpose. Um, but I don't know what that'll be. And I still have some time. I mean, I'm going to be here for a while. I just, I've only been on the job seven months, eight months now. Um, but after 35 years, by the time I'm done here, it'll be 38, 39 years, probably. Um, I'll, I'll have to figure out what, what that is, you know, what that position is and what's available to me. But I, I feel like I'll still, you know, I'll be almost 60 by that point. Um, and I'll still have some to give. I'll, I'll have to figure that out. I don't want to just—I uh, don't want to fade away, you know. I want to—I want to keep on pressing and 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 keep sprinting and trying to help people as much as I possibly can. But I'll, I'll be looking for that that opportunity, and I'm hopeful. As much as it's done in my career, I mean, I've been given such amazing opportunities to uh, to fulfill my own purpose. Hopefully, um, I'll have more of those opportunities when I retire. Awesome.
0: Well, sir, I, I appreciate your time. Um, before I, I'll turn the last few minutes over to you for any, any closing words. But as you continue to help people, um, Otis and, and Max Moga, you may have to help prop those two guys up, sir. I, I don't know. They, they, they've they've shown that they aren't trustworthy, that ever since. No, I'm just kidding. Ever since you know those guys and, you know, class of 95, that they were superstars and they're amazing humans and great leaders. So uh, congrats to them. and And I think you'll have a blast with them.
1: Yeah, I am so excited. Otis, uh, Colonel Otis Jones, now Brigadier General Select Jones is just an amazing vice superintendent. And uh, I, I couldn't be luck- more lucky, more fortunate. And he's, he's one of those people that I, I talk about, the footnote that I would love to have in my biography of, of people that have helped me along the way. He's just another example. And uh, Max Moga, uh, I, I know him mostly by reputation we have met and we know each other, but I'm really excited and, and happy that we were able to um, bring him all board because I know he's going to do great things uh, as the commandant. So, but again, it, it's about the people that we're surrounded by and fortunate enough to have in our lives, you know, at, at any given point. And, and they're just two examples of, of the great teammates that I've had uh, throughout. So. Um, I'm just, I'm grateful for them, grateful for you for uh, continuing to, to help lead people and to provide them opportunities to really, again, it goes back to being your best possible self. You know, you are giving people a chance to think about that and to understand where others have gone, you know, what kind of mistakes or, or successes they've had. And honestly, having people uh, hear from senior folks, it, it gives them kind of a, a shortcut, you know, it's like, okay, I, I see where some of the issues they've had or some of the successes they've had. Maybe I can get there without, uh, you know, having to go through some of the hard knocks um, that, that other folks went to or, or learn some of the lessons that they've already learned um, to incorporate into, into their lives. So I appreciate you doing this very much. And um, to all our listeners out there, I just... <laughs> Oop, time to wake up. no uh i just encourage all our listeners out there to you know continue to learn continue to find those lessons and to and to pursue your purpose understand your why every day and you you choose your attitude you choose your purpose every single day and just make good choices and and press through so uh thank you for big for this time big dog and, and i do look forward to seeing you in person again soon Awesome.
0: Thanks, sir. Well, now that uh, with Otis there, KC, Soup, and with with Max getting up there, I either owe them a drink or vice versa. Either way, uh, when I stop by- They owe you a drink,
1: for sure. They owe you a drink. i just go ahead and and, and establish that. They owe you a
0: drink. Awesome. Thanks for your time, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks for leading so well.
1: All right, big dog. Thank you.